are listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. For a non-blockchain people, like if you're not in blockchain right now, blockchain world like sounds like a scam to you. <laughs> sounds like a lot of investors, you know, speculating on a price. Sure. And you're like, why do I want to get into as a developer? Why do I want to get into So actually going into like, as I said, like, community operated cloud, and here's the values you get, this is what gets people excited. So pretty much this is where we're working on uh, figuring out the messaging and kind of building community from there. Today, we are joined by Ilya Klosukin, co-founder of Near Protocol. Backed by Electric Capital, Accomplice, and Metastable, Near is a community-operated cloud platform. Ilya worked for Google, leading a research team in deep learning for three years before founding Near. The Near team aims to build the most developer-friendly blockchain in that developers can write, test, and deploy scalable, decentralized applications in minutes. More specifically, developers can write in TypeScript, run tests in your browser, and deploy applications with one click. I think you will greatly enjoy today's conversation with Ilya. Welcome, very much looking forward to this today. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Ilya and I'm a co-founder at Near Protocol. And Ilya, what is Near Protocol? Near Protocol is a what we call community operated cloud. And the way we started building it is from a blockchain. So the kind of major component we're building right now is blockchain. But our vision in general is to pretty much move from a centralized clouds and centralized applications to this world where you can build applications that communicate with each other and users control their data, right? So just kind of describe it, right? Uh, you can imagine a world where somebody builds a social app, right? And launches it on this platform and anybody else can build new user interfaces or can pretty much use the user's data from this app in some other app from user's permission. So blockchain is kind of underlying layer that provides identity, provides incentives, and a lot of other stuff that we're building right now. So building a community-managed cloud is an ambitious project and certainly not easy. What were you doing prior to founding Near that, that got you excited about this? So uh, my actually background is in machine learning. So I've been working in machine learning for about 10 years. Uh, my last kind of big company gig was at Google Research, where I led a team of uh, 10 researchers working on natural language understanding. So if you, you know, use Google.com, actually we're answering like some of the models we built, answering questions there. Uh, some of the last work I did was new model attention is all you need that is used in translation. So I left Google and started a company, AI company, with a very ambitious goal. We wanted to automate software engineering. And for a year... Uh, we pretty much were trying to build this company and we realized a few things. One of them was that there's a huge centralization power of these big companies. And machine learning is actually an amazing like accelerator of that, right? So Google was like competing with Google on search was already super complicated. But now that Google has all of the possible data about everybody across everything, it's actually really hard to build new products because Google will build a better product because they have all this data and machine learning can like uh, make it 100 times better. So, and one of the things we were trying to do actually with uh, our AI company was to make this idea where users should be able to build their own interfaces on top of existing data. 
So like Salesforce is like a good example where they pretty much pull in more and more data in one place and then put a really not usable interface around it. And like our idea was that we, we wanted to make it permissionless where people can like pull in whatever specific interface they want. And then if you do that, actually over time, you don't need Salesforce because you can just uh, use your own data database. Now, the technology on that side didn't really work. So we did some really good research. We had four papers in major uh, machine learning conferences, but it was way too early. But the kind of the, the general idea of this permissionlessness and idea that we should be able to go away from this world where super aggregators pretty much controlling the world kind of stuck with us. And we started researching and blockchain kind of come as one of the ways to solve some of these problems as well. Mm-hmm. Your background is really impressive, having spent over three years at, at Google. And now, you know, with Near, you may be competing against Google. So uh, at least in the cloud perspective and cloud product. So how, how do you think about some of the use cases for Near and why developers may want to use Near for their cloud services as opposed to, you know, Azure or AWS? So the first kind of component we provide is a blockchain. What this allows to do is to start building things that are operate around money and assets, right? That's what blockchain is really good at right now. It provides you kind of a fully trustless system where, like imagine a world where you right now would need to manage a lot of money as a startup, like you would build some kind of payment system. It would actually take a lot of work on DevOps and security teams to actually secure and make sure the service you're building is actually operating, right? And at the end, you still have like You'll have a decentralized database, which will need to be like in multiple locations. Each location will be secured, et cetera. What blockchain provides is actually this whole ecosystem kind of already done for you. So you don't need to spend money on DevOps. You don't need to spend money on security. Now, the existing blockchains, as we see them, are pretty much unusable. So if I, as engineer, want to build some real application, it's extremely hard to build it. And then when I launch it, my users will need to go through a lot of pain. So... This what we're trying to solve is both the kind of the blockchain part of, of its own, but also this point where like developers should be able to build applications as easily as they would do it on AWS or Google Cloud. And users should not care at all that they actually using blockchain. They should be able to use it kind of easily as well. And one of the things that you guys really advertise on your website is being very developer friendly. So you touched upon that a little bit, but can you elaborate on, on, on how you're very developer-friendly and, and what that means to you guys? Sure. So high level is like we want an engineer who does not know about blockchain, who wants to build an application, to be able to come to our platform and build an app in one day, and ideally faster. That's kind of the goal we have. And if you try to build on Ethereum right now on EOS, that's like a multi-week endeavor where you first need to learn about like solidity you need to learn about nodes you need to learn about truffle ganache all of this tooling that's kind of like make doesn't work together at all etc so what we have built already actually is a fully integrated environment which is designed for a run-of-a-mill javascript developer anybody who knows how to build on javascript can come into our platform and use typescript for programming backends so typescript is javascript is types we have an online ID where any uh, developer can come in right now, go to near.dev. There's a bunch of templates. You can start building an application from there. That, uh, you can pretty much have your first app deployed on a blockchain within like a second. And then you can kind of expand it from there. You have unit tests. And all of this is kind of within 
what we call Node.js paradigm, right? So you have a backend that you write in TypeScript, you have key value storage kind of on the backend that you're operating with, uh, and you have your front end that interacts with it through an SDK, mm -hmm. right? So all of this kind of, like all the blockchain stuff is hidden. You just, it's the same if you're on the command line, you can just say npm start project, uh, npm deploy, et cetera, et cetera. So like very simple. And like the goal is any JavaScript developer comes in, starts building, deploys their apps, can share the link, and people can start using their app. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as that. Now, with some of the applications that are being built on top of Near or will be built on top of Near, will the end user of the application know that the cloud is powered by a blockchain? The blockchain, like, there, there's a few things about blockchain. One thing is the power it provides is for users to control their data. But with the control, there's actually comes payment. Like, if you pay, you control. If you don't pay, you don't really control. That's kind of how we have, right? And, and if we think of Google and Facebook right now, we don't actually pay for it. So we don't have any control. So, you know, when they do something wrong and we complain about it, in reality, there is no power we can do. Um, so what happens here is we actually have two modes. We have one mode where developer can pay for a user, and then this experience then becomes totally transparent that this is run on blockchain. The only kind of interaction you have with kind of with our uh, system is then just creating an account, and developer can pretty much fill the bill and uh, allow people to create an account and start using their application. And then if if user wants, they can pretty much have control of their own data and by the fact of that, they'll need to insert some money into the system and start interacting with this mm -hmm. that way. You mentioned EOS and Ethereum. Talk a little bit more about how Near is different than these two platforms. You, you certainly talked about it's going to be more developer friendly. Um, it'll be much easier to spin up an application in a day as opposed to a week or two. But more uh, holistically uh, and philosophically, how are you guys different than some of the other smart contracting platforms today? Actually, US and Ethereum are very like on the different yes. lines of spectrum of like how they view the world, right? EOS is closer to like world where like, well, let's just award, you know, there's 21 people running everything and then we'll trust them and it's all good. Mm -hmm. And they actually don't have any protocol for uh, when these people actually do behave maliciously, like except like people actually pulling out their capital and doing the complex process. And we know they've done some uh, malicious stuff, even if it was by negligence. Uh, Ethereum on the other side is kind of, the, their worldview is the worldview of like a max maximalist of decentralization. They believe that the world, you know, nobody should be controlling. There will be no, you know, company operating this thing. There will be no uh, entity making decisions, which also means like right now on Twitter, there's like whole holy wars about who it, like about every single thing, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, what this means is like, we actually still have this problem that a centralized, like the margin of profit increases if you centralize things, yes. right? And like mining pools in Ethereum and Bitcoin is a clear uh, indication, right? Because you have mining pools that pretty much collect transactions and build blocks and everybody else just contributes hash power to them. And yes, the hash power providers actually have the ability to switch hash power to another mining pool if they believe this mining pool behaving maliciously. But in reality, this is exactly like EOS. Like there is few mining pools, few delegates who are pretty much building blocks and then everybody else providing them. Yeah, the top four or five mining pools on Bitcoin control or mining groups control what, 60, 70% of the hash yes, rate, right? Yeah, and on Ethereum, uh, top four control 63% yeah. as of like a few days ago. 
they are like on the opposite sides and at the same time they're very similar what we're trying to achieve is actually what we call like an egalitarian idea and the thing is it's really hard to be specific so to begin with we may also like all of this is trade-offs we may put some trade-offs on on kind of uh, faster network for more centralization in the beginning and then over time try to decentralize it more but uh the idea is that we want to anybody with what we call above the threshold of stake, above some number, which is determined by market, like how many people want to become and how many seats we have, which is a large number, the more people we actually want to join. And uh, we're trying to prevent delegation and pooling as kind of a concept, because we believe this actually has no security model on its own. Like the example with delegation, for example, if the person who delegates them, themselves only stake $2 and they have million dollars delegated to them of somebody else's money. In reality, if you pay them $3, if they're fully rational, they're pretty much selling their authority in this, right. like their reputation. So at some point, the price will cover their reputation, even though maybe they have other people's money, mm-hmm. but like reputation and how much money they accumulated may not match. So yeah, so that is like one thing we're trying to uh, kind of work toward. The other part is what we believe is system should scale. And this goes to like, I mean, Ethereum is clearly doesn't scale right now. 14 transactions, like super expensive for pricing. EOS have done good job on flight because they centralized, they can actually run like way faster, produce way more blocks and uh, process more transactions on a higher, higher end compute. But it's still, you know, it's at capacity somewhat and getting at least getting there uh, relatively quickly. So us coming from distributed systems background, we believe the only way systems scale is actually by putting more machines doing parallel work. Right. So in, in pretty much both in distributed systems and in blockchain, it's called sharding, sure. where you actually start to shard your network and process multiple transactions. This is an extremely complex problem because you now have a lot more problems around like uh, malicious actors who can do invalid state transitions, forking all of these problems. So there's a few proposals on how to do sharding. We actually just released a new one on uh, E3 search a few days ago. We actually doing a lot of active research still how to improve on the design. And we've been publishing a lot on what the problems are, as well as what kind of already solved. And so this is the idea that's like, we want to build a system that, and this is part of usability, right? If, if I'm as a developer, build an app and deployed it, I need to know that it will scale with my app scaling. Like the platform should scale. Like when I'm deploying to Amazon, I don't expect that if I get million users, Amazon will not be able to handle me, right? I expect that they actually will be able to handle as I grow to pretty much huge size, right? Mm-hmm. Netflix actually did bad that when they did it initially and actually succeeded in that. So let's let's talk a little bit about the the token as well. So how is the token generated? What are some of the the mechanics around it and nuances around it? Yeah, so token is definitely interesting because I mean token is what makes the security of the system. So this is at the end a proof of stake system. Sure. So which means is for people to participate, they do need to acquire some token and uh, say that they stake. They pretty much ensure they're correct that they will do correct job by locking this token and if if they do something wrong it will be taken and uh, we're just trying to figure out how we can get more people like this into the mix so the idea is this token it actually provides you a future revenue stream right the people paying for storage paying for transactions actually provide the stream to the token holders who actually run the network Mm -hmm. and that's what we call like an utility value of the token right 
there's additional value, which is what people consider to be store value, which I personally actually find a little bit confusing because when people say that Bitcoin is store value, having, what is it, 50% volatility yes. in a month, that's not store value <laughs> Exactly. by, by yeah. definition. So this is a investment asset. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. We want this talking to be more stable than some of this thing. So we're trying to figure out what is the mechanics to make it uh, more stable and, and clearly correlate with usage, right? The more usage we get, the more revenue system captures, the higher the value of the token. Uh, and for that, there's like few mechanics on how we price things on, on the transaction side as well as the storage side and uh, what is the kind of rewards that people who are running a system can receive. And who, who interacts with your token? So obviously you have the stakers. Um, developers that are using your platform will need to interact, acquire the token and, and, and use the token as a payment service. But will end users of applications built on top of Near also need to interact with the token? So as I said, there's kind of two, two modes. One is developer just pays for the user sure. and then user does need to interact. So pretty much you, you can think of when you register as a user and you really don't care about blockchain, yeah. don't care about owning your data, whatever, Developer just foots your bill, right? And they probably give like, as normally is, they give you some limit, and then sure. it kind of decays, right? So similar, model. yeah, similar how we get with uh, uh, with a cell phone, right? Yeah. It's like unlimited, except first two gigs are fast, <laughs> and then it <laughs> it's super right. slow. And then if if your user who actually care about those things, and you actually want to own your own data, you want to make sure that if app disappears or whatever, you still own your crypto kitty, then you need to buy the token yourself and kind of interact with the system. What types of attacks is Near vulnerable to? <laughs> I mean, the main attack is actually on validators, right? So if you are able to capture a large chunk of tokens, one way or another, right? Either by buying it out or by you know going to people who who own it right now with a some kind of device that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> makes sure they give you the private keys. That allows you to pretty much start rewriting the blockchain and kind of producing blocks, whatever you want. Uh, and that's a big issue. The sharding itself has the problem that the more shards you have, the less security each individual shard has, right? So let's say you have a billion dollar uh, market cap. If you have one chain, right, then the whole billion dollar is security or some portion of it is at the stick. If you have 10 shards now, that is actually divided by 10. And uh, so the idea is like, we are planning to make sure that we actually dynamically shard, like dynamically increase number of shards with the amount of usage in the system. So, and this is kind of goes to some of the other systems that launching with a lot of shards right away or trying to launch with a lot of shards right away is actually, first of all, you don't need them because when you start, even if you just have one shard that is sufficiently fast, like you need to first fill that in. If you launch with thousand shards right away, they all will have no usage and like the the economic model of all right. that will not work at all. So instead, we launch it with one shard and just have a dynamic resharding. So you add more shards as you go, pretty much as the usage grows. And because usage grows, your market cap grows because this is what you know, accrues on the token. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not the speculative. This is actual discounted util utility value grows. And you can actually reshard with it as well, right? So like pretty much balancing this out, making sure that as you grow your usage, you grow your shards, which also keeps the security of each shard kind of around the same portion. Now, the new design we have actually solves some of these problems as well. 
we call it whale fishing. Uh, we're still researching if there's any uh, issues and like we're pretty much uh, listening for feedback right now from community. There's few, like in general, proof of stake has a lot of problems with like data availability and uh, possible attacks around uh, collusion of the validators mm -hmm. because they are producing blocks, right? If they collude for something that's beneficial to them, even though it's not directly malicious, they can actually like change the system. Uh, so we're trying to figure, like for data availability, we also have a solution. I wouldn't say it's 100% yet. And the problem is with data availability, you cannot prove that data is not available. You can prove that data is available, but you cannot prove absence yeah. because then whoever has the data can always show it later. So there's only like can be few solutions which are like force some economic incentive on to like do something or you will be punished, like release the data or you will be punished otherwise. Uh, yeah. So then the economic collusion stuff, which is like, I, I think every single system right now has like, for example, in US, right? The current validators can just decide not to accept any more changing of delegation, right? So then they will forever become validators. Right. So some of these problems are also very interesting and in kind of how to incentivize people in such a way that if the kind of main validators don't accept, there's a way to prove that they did not accept, which is also like there's no cryptographic proof for that, mm -hmm. but like you can do some economic issues. But yeah, that, that's kind of the things we're still working on. And the way we approach this is uh, we call it like ship and iterate mode where we like, we, we would build something, we test it, we ideally get some developers to build on this and then we iterate, right? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, we have, we launched our first, we call it DevNet, which is developer experience. So you can build apps powered by one node. Uh, we have our private for now testnet uh, working where we're testing this out. And then as we go, we'll just be, if we find out that there's a better structure that we should use, we can just adopt that. So before we started recording, you were talking a little bit about your community as well. And you said you just hired a new community manager. What's that process like for a new protocol like Nier trying to increase developer mindshare and build a community? It's hard. <laughs> it's not even blockchain. It's generally hard to build developer mindshare because uh, developers have so much tools right now. They kind of need to clearly know what problems does this tool solve before they will invest time to build on it, right? And I think like blockchain has this benefit of kind of, it sounds cool, people want to try it. So what we have, like what go works for us is that it sounds cool, people want to try it, and you can actually try it within like a few minutes, right? So we have like a very low barrier to entry, which again, like when I few years ago would like look at Ethereum and want to try it, right? I would like start Googling around how to write a program and it pretty much stops somewhere there. Install you. <laughs> yeah. And it takes like a day to just get those tools installed and like make sure things are working right. Are you finding that a lot of the developers coming to play around with Nier are coming from Ethereum or coming from other smart contract protocols or cloud protocols or are they coming from um, other sources and this is their first entry into blockchain? Um, so right now, I think we still have more uh, people coming from a blockchain playing with it, for sure. We have done a hackathon in San Francisco Developer Week, which is not a blockchain event, right. uh, where we had nine teams that actually built awesome. uh, applications. So they, were non, they didn't know about blockchain much uh, or at all, and they actually figured out some application and built it uh, using our tools. So there's definitely a value there. 
I think we're still nailing down the exact like messaging that would uh, increase uh, interest for people who are not on blockchain. Mm -hmm. Because for blockchain, we have a clear value, right? It's really easy to build, really easy for users to use, and it scales. And you know, it solves all the like problems across like cross chart transactions, all all the things that kind of other systems right now are working on. Like we have a solution for them, and pretty much we have a first version of it running. For a non-blockchain people, like if you're not in blockchain right now, you probably blockchain words like sounds like a scam to you. <laughs> sounds like a lot of investors, you know, speculating on the price, sure. and you're like, why do I want to get into as a developer? Why do I want to get into this? so actually going into like as I said like community operated cloud and here's the values you get. This is what gets people excited. So pretty much this is where we're working on uh, figuring out the messaging and kind of building community from there. Do you think there's a lot of friction, not just with Nier, but in general for developers that actually need to start acquiring these tokens? Um, I mean, because they, they can do it in a couple different ways, but where are we in terms of just reducing the amount of friction for developers in order to start building on top of these types of protocols? I mean, for sure, like just Getting tokens is extremely hard, right. right? It takes like two, three days for to go through KYC and like connect, you know, a card, and you still cannot use your credit cards most of the time. Like Binance accepts credit cards, but Bank of America doesn't work, for example. Mm -hmm. I did, I only tested mine, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, so this is like you know all of this is barriers to entry, which like drop off some percentage of people. I think like I mean test nets are for sure like a, a good way for people to kind of start building stuff, but yeah, at the end you actually want to deploy it, right? Like you don't go to Amazon and deploy it in a sandbox that nobody else can use, right? You actually deploy it to a full main version. So we're trying to figure out how we can simplify this. It is complicated problem because it actually involves like legal part as well as like kind of how US, for example, thinks about the tokens, etc. That's part of usability improvement we're aiming for is actually making this process as easy as if you went to Amazon, you can deploy your first app for free, and then you start paying kind of as you get to scale. What types of applications do you think will be attracted to Near, or do you think will be best supported by Near? What categories? So right now we're focusing a lot on games, and we believe games is a really good example where like people are kind of slowly getting to the stage where owning your own uh, in-game assets and kind of uh, interacting with them in other platforms, becoming really interesting, like people getting to know that this is possible and they want it, right? So like, I wouldn't say it hit mainstream yet, but like when I talk with my friends, for example, who do, who have played games and like put maybe 10,000 hours in some game, they're like, yeah, it would be nice to actually own this gear instead of selling my account on like some, you know, shady market. Like, because they're already doing it. Like, if somebody's really, like, into games. So there's, like, a market there, which maybe, you know, it's not the mainstream market, but uh, right now, like, a niche. And there's, like, few of the gaming studios, actually, like, Forte, mm -hmm. actually been writing about it. They think that as this becomes more prevalent, like, there's games that actually do that, people actually switch to think, well, if the game doesn't do it, why would I use it, right? What happened with pretty much uh, free-to-play is, like, before all the games, you would actually pay. But then as soon as few games become free to play, everybody else got this pressure to like, hey, you actually need to have a version that's free to play and then maybe do an upgrade or do some other business model over time. And actually people figured out better business models around that over time. So I think that's like a really good uh, kind of example. We're experimenting with a lot of stuff. We actually like, we, we have this built with near.com, uh, which is a website we post for now stuff we built as like examples, but uh, 
uh, ideally we want to post other people's stuff as well as we're planning to have like not an app store but a kind of rating table for apps and uh, so far we've been experimenting a lot with uh, uh, user generated content and here it's it's a little bit hard to say that this is like the use case as of yet just because the amount of people who who care about owning their data on like instagram or facebook is not there yet like it's it's a small number but there's some interesting mechanics that you can imagine where uh you build like it's a basic instagram app right but there's no locking like the front end anybody else can build a front end or people can build additional like you can build a marketplace around the photos that post that you actually sell some items and then anybody who builds a front end can integrate that like it's an open platform anybody can kind of tag in and add more stuff and this way you can actually build like more and more sophisticated applications kind of it was the core of a very simple feature or simple app so that's what interesting is like again games is like a way clearer how this work like the mods culture of games is like very clearly like you build one small game and then there's like a ton of mods that kind of customize it and use its assets etc so like crypto kitties have a, like they have this kitty verse now where it's crypto kitties as a platform to provide assets and then you have other games that use crypto kitties to actually play some game yeah i mean it's interesting i, I think gaming is going to be a really exciting use case to follow and i also think that there'll be a lot of teenagers that earn cryptocurrency from online activity or gaming before they actually have a traditional bank account, right? So this is this is where a lot of the, the next generation for Gen Z adoption will, will happen. Is that possible you know, with, with games on top of near? Could developers issue rewards in near tokens to some of their best gamers for certain um, you know levels of, of activity they're completing? I mean, for sure, yeah. I mean, you, you need to, like, you can pay pretty much in near. You cannot issue it out of nowhere, but yeah, you can pay... Uh, in near to your gamers or in any other like I mean I, I would expect the more stable currency would be a beneficial yeah, maybe for die yeah or nigh right near yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> nigh nah, like that I, I think that's super interesting I mean like earn.com is kind of interesting experiment in this space right where like can people make crypto for uh, some things right and then like expanding that into other spheres is definitely uh, would be cool and like, I, you know, I'm coming from Ukraine, for example, where our banking system is kind of a mess. It was always a mess and it's, it has like cycles of like, oh, it's, it's great. Oh no, no. Like we had a bank, which was great bank. And then it was, uh, it was private bank and then it, the government took over. And now you're like, I have no idea if I should trust them oh, or should not trust them. <laughs> like I can totally see like things like that. And especially with a lot of outsourcing, for example, in Ukraine, people actually would prefer to receive in something that they can like freely buy stuff on abroad, right? Because that's where you like shop for electronics or uh, other stuff, right? There's a lot of value in like cross-border transactions, etc. The way why we focus on games right now is because games can actually use this in the short term, even if the security is low. And then for any monetary, like for DeFi, right? You actually need to increase security. So that's where like we're focusing on that and that we use it as a bootstrapping mechanism to kind of increase the security of the system and then start building, like help others to build pretty much DeFi applications on our platform. What's your big vision, your decade-long vision for Near? So decade-long vision is this idea of community-operated cloud, right? So like blockchain, we think is only one piece of the puzzle, right? There's a lot more, uh, like if you think of Amazon, right? There's like EC2, sure. Uh, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that blockchain is like EC2. It's actually closer to like, 
Lambda was like a key value database. You can think of like, there's a lot more components to be built around this to make it like fully functional platform. And you can build like full applications, uh, which don't require, you know, a lot of maintenance, DevOps, et cetera. And pretty much, yeah, you know, scaling this and making all of the applications on this platform, ideally disintermediating the super aggregators and pretty much allow, allowing people to control where their data goes if they want to. Where, where can our listeners follow the progress of NIR? So we have a few things. We have a bi-weekly community update on our Medium and our website. Uh, we have uh, Twitter updates constantly. <laughs> and we have a Discord chat if you want to actually jump in and start discussing you know, technology, economics, governance, uh, use cases, product, anything. It's all on Discord, all public. And of course, GitHub is for all the code. Everything is public as well. Examples, etc. That's great. No, I'm excited to check out some of the uh, products that are being built on on Neo already. So I'll definitely check that out, and our listeners should as well. So moving a little bit to the crypto ecosystem, what are some important trends you're observing right now? Like people are, f- I think, figuring out what is actually practical instead of like kind of building this. You know, everything decentralized. Nobody owns anything. Like we just launch an app and then it operates. Like that was really exciting idea that Ethereum started with, right? The whole idea of smart contract, which is like, it's just there and it operates or like decentralized companies. By doing that, we did not figure out what is actually operational, how that actually operationally looks, right? And the result, we have a lot of stuff that just like went nowhere. So now I think people are kind of overcorrecting and like trying to figure out, okay, so I have a company and I built something on blockchain, which provides me security, provides me some of this functionality, but at the same time, I still want to update it. I still want to, you know, maintain it, et cetera, right? So pretty much everybody except Ethereum, as far as I know, allowed to upgrade contracts now, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're just apps now. So they're not really the smart contracts. So I think that's kind of one interesting change of philosophy, right? And, and I think in reality, the reality is somewhere, not in the middle, but actually on the, on the spectrum, right? Like in reality, for some things you need to make sure this is never going to change. And for some things, you actually want to change it constantly. And probably an application actually will contain multiple pieces of different levels of, yeah. of this. So that's kind of one trend. The other trend, I mean, people are way more starting to think a lot more about economics in general. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm following really closely Cosmos. Like they launched three weeks ago. Uh, they've been running for... Like they've been running testnet, but like now that they have mainnet, this is where this is real money. This is where like everybody's now really motivated to figure out how this works. And there's a lot of interesting questions about like how the economics of this validators actually will work, right? Because if you like right now, even with somewhat high inflation rate, the validators still receive relatively low uh, returns, and the delegation on Cosmos, right? They take a fee. From delegating, whatever, whatever they delegate to them, they return the reward, but they keep some fee. Mm-hmm. And what happened for for a week or so, I think, started some people started cutting down the fee to invite more capital to be delegated to them. And not everybody can operate at lower uh, fee uh, balances. So, and then if you think of it an extreme, you can think of Coinbase that comes in and says, "We'll do it at zero fee, because just you know, put all the money on Coinbase, and it's all will be great." And like they have another revenue stream, right? They can generate money from and they can operate this at a, at a loss. 
So how do we balance these things? Like what is economics incentives around this? Uh, it's very important. I think people started to think about it now that we have like kind of Cosmos live running. Yeah, in, in, in crypto, I mean, Ethereum had such a big first mover advantage, but in, in some ways there is a late mover advantage, right? Because you get to see how some of these protocols function, how all the incentives actually work, see how the game theory plays out. And you can learn a lot, right? I mean, it's great you're tracking Cosmos. It's great you're tra- obviously paying a lot of attention to Ethereum and EOS. And, um, you know, you're, you're just building the next generation of some of these platforms. So what are some of the projects in crypto you're most excited about outside of Nier? Uh, I mean, Cosmos is definitely interesting to kind of observe. I mean, the general idea is very interesting. We'll see how it actually pans out. I think a lot more than protocol, I'm really excited about actual applications that have been built. Uh, there's a lot of like interesting gaming applications where people try to figure out uh, things. Uh, there's few marketplaces that like the whole point of like blockchain is this like, efficient marketplace, but marketplace on its own doesn't actually doesn't actually provide a business model. Like marketplace on the blockchain doesn't have any business model. And like you can tell all you want about utility tokens that does not work. You have infinite velocity on those things. So what's interesting is if somebody builds a marketplace, what kind of service they provide on top that actually does capture the value. Uh, so there's like few interesting companies working on that. And I think that's actually a very interesting trend where you put a marketplace which removes a lot of legal liability and a lot of kind of operational liability uh, from you. And you just provide a service on top of this marketplace where you actually capture the value. The key takeaways from today's episode are one, Near Protocol aims to be the most developer-friendly blockchain with ambitions to be a community-operated cloud platform. Two, Near is using a proof-of-stake consensus but has a sophisticated governance model. And three, Near plans to launch Mainnet in summer 2019, and you can follow the team's progress more at nearprotocol.com. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.